0: You found Ballistic Chronicles. And we got a great episode for you today. We're talking to Jake Doth of Adventure Outfitters Alaska. We talk alpine black bear hunting in the fall, way up in the Alaskan range, and a do it yourself hunting experience from a fly in camp. We recommend our latest book, Bob Nosler Born Ballistic. You can find it on our website and at Nosler.com and on Amazon too. We have a limited supply of our new Ballistic Chronicles hip flask. You can package this with one of our classic deer hunting books or John Nossler going ballistic for only $15 more. If you want the Ballistic Chronicles hip flask, just send me a note at Gary Lewis, outdoors at gmail.com. Let's get on with this episode. Welcome back to Ballistic Chronicles. This is Gary Lewis. I'm your host. This is where we talk about rifles and big game hunting in the West and around the world. And today we're talking with Jake Doth from Adventure Outfitters, Alaska. Jake, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gary. I'm excited. So you live near Kenai, Alaska. What's the town you live in? So yeah, we live in a town uh, in Nikiski. It's about eight miles north of Kenai. And I've been to Kenai. I've shopped in the stores where you probably go when you need vegetables, but you probably get all your meat from the wild.
1: Yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, we <eat> probably <laughs> 90% wild game, whether
0: it's <laughs> salmon or moose or bear or whatever. Right, right. I contacted you because I'm working on a story for Hunt Alaska magazine about fall bear hunting. And I thought, you know, I think we should talk about this on the podcast too. So I've hunted bear in Alaska. When I wanted to get a black bear when i wanted to kick off my black bear hunting career i went to prince of wales island and that was 21 years ago and then i've been up there to hunt black bears since then and now mainly i'm salmon fishing and trout fishing when i go up there but i also like to hunt kodiak island for sitka blacktails and so i've done that as well yeah that's awesome you hunt in uh unit 16b Yeah. 16B. And tell, tell me about what makes that hunt different from what other people might expect on a fall black bear hunt. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, when you think of black bear in
1: Alaska, I mean, there's no question Prince of Wales islands is, I mean, that's one of your top, if you really want a trophy black bear and you want it to come from Alaska, that's, that's really the place to go. They have incredible bear. Um, there's very few brown bears. The population is so low that, you know, the black bear gets to be top predator down there. And, Um, up here, it's a little bit different, you know, as soon as you get out of that Southeast area and you get up into mainland Alaska or what we think of, and, um, the Brown bears really take the top seat at the table, so to speak. And so, um, you know, in unit 16, we have both, we have a lot of, a lot of Brown bear and a lot of black bear, actually a. A huge population of black bear to be honest with you um mm-hmm. uh, because it's a fly-in only there's no way to drive there uh it's super remote and so most guys when they come up to ak and they want to do a big game hunt it's it's all about moose or sheep or goat um or brown bear of course and and usually the black bear kind of takes a back seat because you can you can get a black bear in minnesota if you want and no good chance that it'll be you know a good sized bear so Um, but unit 16 is unique in that, um, it's just, it's a gorgeous place. It's really, really beautiful. Um, we hunt them in the fall when they're up on the berry fields and they're, and they're feeding there up above tree line. And so you get to hunt some exceptionally beautiful country and it's not quite as high as the sheep and the goat. So you don't have to, uh, you know, spend a year training for the hunt. You can kind of get ready a little bit before the hunt because it is rough terrain, but, um, it's definitely not like sheep or goat. So it's definitely a unique hunt.
0: It's very unique in that way, yeah, that's a really good point. Now you, one of the things you mentioned is that peak berry season because bears and berries go hand yeah. and, paw, yeah. and yeah. um ten to fourteen days earlier than maybe <clears throat> down on the Kenai Peninsula,
1: yeah. i think I think if you look at the Kenai Peninsula just in general, um it's definitely at a the mountains are quite a bit smaller. They don't change the weather, the overall weather patterns like the Alaska range does. And Mm. so being that, you know, we're surrounded by perpetual snow capped volcanoes compared to, you know, rather small Hills, um, so to speak. And on the Kenai Peninsula there, if you're hunting hope or, you know, Cooper landing or something like that. So I think the elevation difference definitely comes into play. Um, you know, certainly, in 16B, where we hunt, you've got the backside of the unit is bordered by, you know, North America's tallest volcano in Mount and oh, Mount Reedout and Mount Spur. And I mean, just this incredibly gorgeous mountain range. And then at the other end, the other terminus end is Cook Inlet. So you have this a, a real diversity of terrain from, you know, tundra up top in the mountains all the way down to tidal flats, you know, when you get towards the inlet. So um this the population of black bears is big. They have perfect habitat. There's all kinds of salmon rivers. So they get a bunch of salmon. And then that whole Alaska range is covered in blueberries and in crowberries and high bush cranberries, low bush cranberries, watermelon berries. You get down in the river bottoms and it's a it's just a menagerie for them. So, um, so we definitely take advantage of that. And and uh it's definitely earlier, I think, than the Kenai Peninsula because we we see that peak berries is probably somewhere around august 20th we kind of feel like that's our peak date if you're if that date
0: falls into your hunting plans you're right in prime time man okay so you were gonna expect snow by the first week of october and then what do the bears do yeah that's a that's a good question
1: because you know playing the berry game um, you know, some years are boom, some years are bust. But no matter what, there's always bears up there that are roaming around and looking. If it's not a great year, the population is less, and you may not see, you know, a million bears up there. But but they definitely go up there as a food source. And as soon as that food source tends to uh, degrade a little bit, you know, the berries start to, you know, get beyond peak, and then they start to turn sour. Sour berries are okay, but when they start to really break down and decompose, and and they're almost fermenting there in the soil. Yeah. The bears just, they don't get the caloric intake that they need yeah. and um, they right. recognize right away which salmon to eat. We've seen <laughs> hundreds of brown bears walk by 10 salmon to pick up one that's still flipping and flopping a little bit because you know
0: that it, interesting, It yeah. is—it's
1: crazy, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it never ceases to amaze me how they just have that ability to pick out the best food that has the highest, the highest caloric intake.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you talked about the blueberries, the crowberries, the, the, different types of cranberries. And um, you also mentioned the bog berries. Would that be the cranberries? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah,
1: you know, when you get down lower and there's all kinds of really I mean, Alaska's got a lot of berries, a bunch that we wouldn't even eat, um, you know, and some that are edible, but you know, kind of taste a little bit bitter or sour. Um, yeah, the bog berries, anything that grows down in the river bottoms, anything from a low bush cranberry to the watermelon berries to even devil's club. I mean, devil's club is, um, uh is something that the bears will turn to. I haven't really seen them doing that. I've just read that a bunch and I have seen them, um, in the area. I don't know if they're actually feeding on the berries, but, um, Boy, I tell you what, when those crowberries explode and the mountainsides are just covered in, in them, they're they're like giant hoovers. I mean, their heads are yeah. down. They are feasting on those berries. And um, I mean, they sleep, eat, and and repeat, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, all all there in in the one place. Now, um you said relentless glassing and man that makes a lot of sense to me and and it's relatable to sheep hunting um not nearly as expensive if you want to hunt in the alpine and you want that sheep hunting experience and you want to do it again and again um bear hunting is where it's at in my mind no 100 percent,
1: gary i i agree too i mean i've done the goat and the sheep and um, and those are ex- ex- exceptional hunts. They really are. They're fun. And, but being in the Alpine, I think is what that draw is. And, you know, we get a lot of guys that are elk hunters down, down South and they love to hunt that high country and you can glass forever and you can see a long ways, but our Alpine country is quite a bit different. And so we get a lot of guys that come up and we've got a couple that are top of my head that come every other year or every two or three years just to do it because the, the terrain is so beautiful. It's like sheep country but you're not at the very top. And so, um, I think there's, there's definitely a romance with the, with the Alpine hunting and to be able to do it for, you know, a price tag, that's not even a quarter of what a sheep or a goat would be, oh, um, I know. is, it is pretty awesome. So
0: sense. It, it does. Well, every year getting... go hunt bears.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know, the guys we get guys that are long range shooters, that's one of the groups they're just mm. really into long range rifles and, you know, they they want to take the 600 yard shot. You know, I don't necessarily want that shot. I'll probably miss a, a barn door, but, um, these guys are really into it. And the alpine hunting just really gives you that opportunity to, to see animals from a long ways with, with the binos and put on cool stocks. And whether you're a sniper or whether you're a bow hunter, you know, we have guys that chase them up there with bows and try to close the distance to get a spot and stock on a black bear with a bow. That's, that's a pretty awesome North American hunt too. So yeah,
0: no doubt about it um i think people approach these hunts maybe without thinking of what it might be what might be required fitness wise and you know it's not a sheep hunt they tell themselves it's not a goat hunt but sometimes you see a bear and it's so far away you just don't uh you just don't even want to go after it. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you've been out there and done it, Gary, because yes, <laughs> that's that's one
1: hundred percent. Um and and I think a big part of any alpine hunt and, and the guys that are like, you know, big elk hunters, they get it. They're in they're in good elk shape. And so if you're in good elk shape, come on up and hunt. You don't have to do anything too major, but if you're anything short of good elk hunting shape, you should definitely have six months of you know, some sort of regiment and it doesn't have to be much, but, um, you know, Just, our terrain yeah. is unforgiving, you know, it yeah. really can be. And, um, a lot of guys that are students of the game, they'll ask for specific pictures of the country. Mm. And I think it's important to do that, to do a lot of research. And I mean, you wouldn't have to do much on Google to find out what it looks like on Mount readout and yeah. <laughs> five <laughs> minutes of looking at
0: that. And and you realize you better do some air squats before you, come. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good point. Now, how do you, where do you land the plane at? How do you, how yeah, do you that's, find a, that's,
1: spots? that's a really great question. So there's a lot of um, really, really, really great spots um, that are right at the base of the mountains that we can land with our wheel airplanes, whether it's a super cub or the bush hawk, but um, you know, we can land there and, and drop you off to where you're pretty close to the, to the hunting grounds. I mean, a lot, most of our guys, I can be honest with you, shoot bears, The first couple of days, the first bear or so that they do end up shooting is usually near camp. Um, And so those bears come down out of that high country usually at night and they'll they'll bed down. Sometimes they bed down up high, but most of the time they come down and um, you get them kind of moving back and forth between the feeding grounds.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, that's something I didn't think about.
1: Yeah, early morning in the, you know, there's a couple of lakes that we land on that are right at the base as well. And we'll land there with flow planes. And, you know, last year we shot two bears on the lake. Um, both of the guys that got bears shot them both on the lake themselves. And and I asked them, I said, you know, you know, what was kind of going on? What were they doing around the lake? And and they said it was every morning, the first couple of mornings they saw them, and then it was the third and fourth mornings that they killed them. And they said early morning they were already at the lake. So I think they were betting down there and then heading back up into the berry fields in the day.
0: Okay, okay. Now, one of the things that I know is that weather can blow everything up. So how how does a person um, manage the trip for that?
1: Yeah, you know, and I think yeah, you can't have this conversation without asking that question. Um, the, the weather is a, obviously a giant X factor. And I think the best thing that people can do is to first off know that it's not in anybody's control and we all say that we know that but then when you spend a you know a bunch of thousands of dollars and you travel across the country and you get there and the weather's bad we seem to forget that it's not in anybody's control so I think the first step in any anybody's hunt plans is to be like hey we really need to entertain what it might be like to get stuck for a couple days or not be able to go out on the hunt on the day you want to go out and then if you're so strict with your travel plans, or if you have a tight window of time, your seven day hunt might end up to be four days. And, you know, so preparing for that, I think by adding a day at the beginning and adding two days at the end of your hunt. So if you're going to hunt for five days, plan an eight day vacation, um, and just give yourself that bubble window of time so that you're not, you know, missing flights and paying fees and, and doing all that. Cause that gets really stressful and it can easily ruin what could have been an incredibly awesome and well-planned out hunt. So don't short yourself on days, be ready for a weather day. If it doesn't happen, go catch some trout, like you said, or I'll take you out on a salmon fly out and we'll go fly to a different mountain range and catch some salmon or something like that. There's always something that you can do. Um, and so I, I think that's probably the most important piece.
0: Man, that salmon fly out. That sounds good too. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to talk about that later. Now, um, what about this sealing requirement of the hide? Yeah, right. So that's definitely
1: a big part of it. Um, so we, you know, we've got a guy, everybody's going to, you know, have a guy or whatever that they use. And, and we've got a couple of local folks that we use and believe in, and they do a great job. And so... You know, what will happen if you shoot a bear on like day one and you still want to hunt, you you know, you can shoot three per person or whatever in some units and, um, you know, your partner's going to want to keep hunting. So we'll fly in and we'll pick up the hide. You'll transfer it, transfer it to the transporter. And when I say okay. me, some, I'm including the transporter in all of this. They'll fly in because I don't do the flying. I'm just a, I'm just an outfitter and a guide. Yeah. Yep. So, um, you know, come in, pick up the bear, bring it back and they'll transport it to a, um, a place here in town. And they'll have it ready to be sealed and whatever you want. If you want it rugged, if you want it just salted, if you want it frozen, however you want it, you'll you'll have those directions, and it makes it really easy.
0: When okay, you get done yeah, that with, makes sense.
1: Yeah, you get done with your hunt, you go and see Justin, and he, you sign off on it, and then it'll already be prepped and ready to go
0: for you. So, okay. Now, when I asked you earlier about overlooked food sources, you mentioned ground squirrels. Tell me about that.
1: Well, there's a couple of times we've seen them. Um, and, know I wouldn't say I've seen it a ton. Um, but I have had a couple of clients mention it and, and I've seen it a couple of times where they're just digging around in something and you're wondering what they're doing. And the one time in our, in our spotting scope, we were able to watch him and all of a sudden, sure enough, two squirrels come squirting out of that hole and he's <laughs> them for a little bit. And, um, and so I don't really know how often they're up there for the berries, Gary, for sure. Yeah. But, um, yeah you know, I think that is, you know, something I wouldn't go up there looking for squirrel dens and stalking (laughs) them out or nothing, but, um, I think it is something that they opportunistically will grab and, and, and take a hold of. We don't have a lot of marmots. Um, but I, you know, a marmot's a good meal. If you're a bear and you can track down a marmot, that's a pretty good meal. So, um, we don't have a ton of those on, on this neck of the woods, but.
0: Okay. Now, um, this sounds like, I mean, to me, I've called in bears in the past and one day i was fortunate enough to call in two bears on the same day and we got both wow Wow. But, but to me this seems like a great opportunity for a person who wants to do some calling and you know that's a whole different podcast but i know your guys have maybe tried to do that a little bit tell me about that yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I think, uh, I think our location is, is textbook because it's wide open spaces. Your call will reach out and, and really grab them. Um, we haven't done a ton of it. And I, and I, I, I would like to do more. I mean, that's one thing I always want to get out there and hunt more Gary, but, um, you know, that's one thing that I would definitely, definitely like to do more of. And I think sometimes when we get out there, we're just hunting so hard that we, we forget to, to grab the Fox pro, but, um, we've definitely turned their heads. Um, the two times that we've done it, we turned one and he didn't come in like a, like a coyote, you know, cruising in and top speed or whatever, but, uh, he definitely, we killed him. I mean, he worked his way, his way, and he looked up and you could tell he was responding to the call in some way, or at least he wasn't scared of it. But,
0: um, well, so what my experience with calling bears is some bears come right in, like they're on a string and some bears come in like they're, you know, they're not quite hungry yet, but they'll be hungry when they get there. And it, you know, that's why we call for an hour. And then I've had bears get up and leave, you know, more than once. Wow. Um, but just, just the fact that they responded in some way to the call. Um, yeah. The call is, is being, you know, is, is being used and in play. And these are complex animals and they all have something going on with them. You know, you know, one might not want to come in cause he knows he's going to get beat up if he runs into the, right big bear that he got beat up by yesterday you know and another bear might leave because she's got cubs and she wants to get him out of there because she knows that there's a big bear around and he's going to go to that same sound and so they're they're all doing different things for different reasons yeah absolutely but, yeah. no i think i think uh anybody who's
1: coming up for a hunt if they're into calling then throw one in your pack and bring it on up
0: yeah. Okay. Now there's been recent fires on the Kenai Peninsula, but that didn't hit your area at all, did it?
1: No, uh-uh. we haven't had a, had a big burn over by us. So I'm not sure how that's going to necessarily affect, I'm sure there's going to be, you know, increased berry production and increased fireweed, of course. And um, so I'll be curious to see how it plays out.
0: And then what kind of conditions are ideal in in the berry fields when you're trying to spot bears yeah
1: i think one of the things that that does hang up our hunters is fog um that time of year we're getting some serious inversion because it might be piling snow up on the top of mount readout oh yeah and you know when it's making snow up there it's definitely forming condensation down you know three thousand feet below where we're hunting you know it's it's foggy. And so fog just completely restricts your ability to glass bears. And so you got one of two choices. You can take a nap, hang out at camp, or you can wander around in the fog, hoping to bump into one at 50 feet, you know, so probably the former is a better choice. And, um, that can, that can definitely be a challenge. It it really can, um, to the, to the hunt, but it usually doesn't last for more than a day. Sometimes if it's a bad, you know, you might get two days of fog, but, but usually just a day or so. Yeah.
0: The weather's always changing. Um, so you on your website, your website is adventure outfitters, com, And you've got, um, guided fishing trips, hunting, you click on the hunting link and it takes you to unguided black bear hunts in Alaska. And so you, what you're advertising is two to six man hunting fishing party, um, do-it-yourself black bear hunt, four to ten days. So it's really a a DIY kind of a trip, five to seven days in the field, Super Cub transportation in and out, and a full camp. This has really got my attention, a four-season tent, cot's kitchen, pack frame, paramedic kit. And then all meals, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks, and um, that's important, satellite, phone, and in reach with iridium service tell me about that well we like to do a backup most guys nowadays especially our elk
1: guys everybody's got a an in reach and we just like to kind of double up on some of the safety features so um the satellite phone works great for for any sort of major communication or when you got to talk but those little in reaches they have unlimited text and so you can get quick little updates or weather things like that so we just like i said like to double up on on the uh,
0: on the communication piece right. Yeah, that makes sense. And your price is $4,000 per person. And to me, for all that you're doing for the hunter, um, that's to me, that's a really good deal. And, and it sounds like a great hunt to me.
1: No, I think it is. Um, You know, we, we do a pretty good job with our black bear hunts. There's just, there's a great population. It's a super high success rate. Um, and it's a really great hunt. If you've got four guys, you know, four or five, oh, yeah. even six guys that want to come up and do a black, uh, a hunt together, some kind of big game hunt, but obviously six guys at a moose camp is just, it's cost prohibitive and everything about that is, is, is a no, no brainer. But, um, for the bear hunt, I mean, we had a group of five guys come up two years ago and they went five for five and they just had this great time together. And so I think it can be one of those unique big game hunts for, an actual large group. I mean, it's kind of rare unless you're going antelope hunting or something like that to, to bring a big group of guys and and have that experience and to do it where we, where we hunt with a group of guys. If you're into the Alpine kind of type thing, it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, and for, you know, all that you get for four grand, you're, you're never going to find a cheaper, you know, big game hunt in Alaska. That's for
0: sure. In Alaska. Yep. With super cub transportation. Okay. Now, um, when people are glassing the berry fields, how often are they seeing brown bears up there? Um, not a ton, to be totally honest with you.
1: Um, in Unit 16 B, there are a lot of salmon rivers. There are about 13, 14 different, you know, legit rivers that have salmon runs. And so most of our brown bears are down in the river bottoms. Um, they do come up into the into the high country. We've seen them up on the bench. Um And, and they forage for sure. But, um, I would say, boy, last year, I don't remember any of my guys seeing brown bears at all. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say it's definitely more of a rarer thing. Um, they don't tend to go quite as high and that's why all the black bears go up there. Um, we've regularly from the air, we do so many, you know, bear viewing and all the trips from the air and so much flying in the air. We get to see some pretty incredible things, but, um, we've seen countless brown bear bears killing black bear attacks from the air and so the predation on the black bears is a real thing i mean they they actively hunt them we've seen them chase them in groups two or three brown bears forcing a a family of black bears onto the glacier and then the next fishing trip we had gary it was just a giant red stain
0: blood bath,
1: drug the whole family off into some crevasse somewhere and had at it and there were three brown bears working together so, oh. I mean, and if I wouldn't have seen that with my own eyes, I would not have even believe the words coming out of my mouth. But, um, amazing, it was, yeah, we had a whole plane full of people watching the chase and then a different plane load of people to see the blood. So oh. it was, I mean, they definitely stay away from the Brown bears. It's part of the reason why our black bears don't get to be, you know, four or 500 pounders like those giant Wisconsin bears and huge Minnesota bears that live in a cornfield for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> Our bears got to run. They got a. They they were they got their head on a swivel.
0: So. Man, you nailed that. Okay, so what about? Uh, people always want to know, what gun should I bring on this trip? What do you tell them? Oh, what a great
1: question. Um, another beautiful thing about the black bear is there's a ton of calibers out there that you can bring to successfully hunt a, a black bear um, where we hunt. So definitely, obviously a personal decision. If you're into long range shooting, then you want to, you know, make sure you got the right caliber. I would say, I mean, we've killed them. A lot of guys come up with two seventies, um, seven MMS. I like the 300. If you're going to reach out, I like to have a little bit of a punch. So anything that, you know, the 300 wind is a good round, um kill them a lot with a 338 that's the gun I use if I'm going to be up there shooting if I know I'm going to be shooting over 400 yards um a little bit bigger bullet a little bit more stable so there's a lot Those of different
0: the, the two calibers that people I talk to in Alaska seem to carry a lot are 300 win mag and 338 wind mag and then they also answer this question with a three size, Three seventy-five H
1: and H. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. those are your three standards, and but you know those are guns that that a lot of guys in the lower forty-eight don't necessarily own or don't shoot a ton, and um you know the black bear just allows you to bring a lot of different a lot of different. My dad shot one with a Swede. Um, oh yeah, my brother yeah. shot one with this with this Ot six. Um, so I mean, I think there's just a there's a lot of rounds that can successfully and effectively and ethically kill a kill a black bear up here. Um. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Range definitely comes into play. I'm not going to shoot a 600-yard, you know, lob with my 243 and hope to stone cold a bear and break his shoulder. So um, definitely kind of based on the hunter and and how they like to hunt and how they like to shoot. Some guys are really into the stock. And instead of taking a 300-yard shot, they yeah. want the adrenaline rush to get close in the distance to 200 or 100. And yeah. Um, comes down to the hunter, I think.
0: And then... Do people mess it up by walking around too much, trying to cover too much ground? Does that happen there too? The short answer is absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. I think uh, wandering
1: around the open tundra, framing yourself on every, you know, mountaintop is probably not the thing to do. Um, you know, obviously bears, their their sense of smell is incredible. Everybody knows that. Um, but the swirling winds of alpine hunting is new to a lot of folks, even elk hunters yeah. where you're in the timber, you know, swirling updrafts and stuff. Um, so we hunt them like goat and we hunt them like sheep. I mean, that's how we approach our stocks. That's how we, we plan it out. We definitely don't come from straight below and just hike up at them, hoping to take a, an uphill shot. So definitely want to, to plan that out. Cause there's some mistakes you can make for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. Good advice. Okay. Well, anything else that uh, we didn't cover in this? Topic?
1: No, no. Other than, you know, maybe um, the the beauty of the fall black bear hunt up here in Alaska is obviously the salmon run. And so being able to couple your trip, we do a lot of cast and blast trips where if you got a group of four or five guys, maybe there's some of them that really like to fish. They might come up a couple of days early and do a bunch of fishing trips, whether it's DIY fishing or, you know, with us, with the guides and the airplanes and, all that stuff. So it's really can be a, a unique big game hunt more than just a hunt, but an experience itself. Like if you've never been up here to plan a, a 10 day trip and then only have seven of those or six of those be on the bear hunt. And the rest are halibut fishing and salmon fishing and other kind of fly outs and seeing glaciers and doing kind of all the whole happy meal, if you will, Um, you, you can do a really unique and incredible hunt and fishing trip and, you know, tourist kind of trip. So, um, I think that would be the the last thing that I'd love to say, and and just thank you so much for having me on today. I really appreciate you inviting me on the podcast. And
0: you can find Jake at AdventureOutfittersAlaska.com dot and on the Instagram at adventureoutfittersalaska. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you like what we're doing here on Ballistic Chronicles, if you want to support free speech and good hunting content in the internet age, look for our coffee and books. GaryLewisOutdoors.com. We have two coffees, ground in Seattle, Washington, from Expedition Joe. One is a medium dark coffee called Frontier Roast. It's a good sipping coffee for deer camp and a great gift. The other is a dark roast called Fishing Central Oregon Reserve, and it's what I'm drinking right now. Great for cold mornings between fishing spots and a great spring bear hunt coffee. We recommend our latest book, bob nosler born ballistic you can find it on our website and on nosler.com and amazon too we have a limited supply of our new ballistic chronicles hip flask you can package this with one of our classic deer hunting or john nosler going ballistic books for only 15 dollars more if you want the ballistic chronicles hip flask we make it real easy for you send me a note at gary lewis outdoors at gmail.com